uh, when I go to Africa or South America, I went to South America this spring, and you guys uh, funded the, the flight ticket for that, that trip to the Amazon this spring, and I appreciate that. Um, well, those people don't have any money, and very little money, and, and they can't, you know, those students come in with almost nothing on their back and come in for six months of training, and uh, they just don't have extra money to fly in somebody else. So uh, we basically pay to preach. <laughs> we we fly, you know, pay our, our way to get there and, and, and such. And so anyway, um, money that you give towards our ministry goes towards that. We have more invitations than we can than we can have been able to go to. Uh, this year, I was asked uh, also to go to uh, Madagascar and to Papua New Guinea, and we weren't able to do it. So. So anyway, I, I really appreciate uh, the offering. All right, let me start all the buttons here, get everything going. This technological age is wonderful, especially when I got a time clock. I, I ran over last week. I'm sorry, I ran over last week. Um, so this week, I'm going to only go for five minutes. <coughs> Greg, Greg told me last week, he took me to, uh, took us to, uh, uh, Tuesday, Ruby Tuesdays, and he said, uh, but if you run over next week, we're going to McDonald's, so I, you know. <laughs> he told me, he, he used to be a radio announcer, and he used to joke about his wife on the radio, and, and of course that wasn't true, but he, it was okay because it was on mic, so I can say anything I want. I <laughs> okay, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we need you right now. We want to hear from you. We didn't come here to hear Vern Nietzel. We came to hear you. And Lord, I pray that you will speak, that you will breathe upon this time right now and speak to us, Father. I want to hear from you. We look to you right now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to do something a little unusual today. Um, normally, I have points that I try to follow, and, um, and then I just kind of wing it and take off from there. And, and many times I find myself way out in left field, and I, I, I don't even know where I'm at. I, I have to come back and search my, my notes to try to figure out what happened. Um, but today, I'm going to read a lot of this sermon, and I, and I hope that doesn't, isn't a downer for you. Just keep in mind that uh, Spurgeon, who was a great uh, evangelical preacher in the 1800s, wrote tons of sermons and tons of books. People are still preaching his sermons today. He got saved in a little country church. Oh, I don't know, it may have been in London, actually. It might not have been a country church. But he, he went in there one time uh, to get warm on a Sunday morning, and there was a little scrawny preacher reading a sermon, and he got saved that day. And, and many times in the past, they read sermons. That's how they did it. They read the sermons. So I'm going to have to do that, because uh, if I start taking off from these notes, we won't get out of here, because I, I have, you know, quite a bit to go through, and, and, and if I start going in, in left field here, we're, so I've got my timer set at an hour and a half, and if the beeper goes off, I'll start my closings to make sure we get out of here on time, okay? So, all right, while you guys are laughing, that's good. <laughs> My wife's laughing. That's really good. <laughs> okay. 
this is a sermon that I really enjoy. I've, I've preached it one time, but the concept to me is really deep. It's really a good concept. And it's called The Seven Wonders of the World. Uh, years ago, the Greeks uh, created a list of what they considered the seven wonders of the world were, the, the, the great architectural mammoth uh, uh, productions of mankind. And they included the Colossus of Rhodes, the Great Pyramid of Cheops, the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, uh, the Mausoleum of Halicarnassus. If there's any history teachers here, I'm very sorry <laughs> for the pronunciations. <laughs> anyway, um, the Lighthouse of Alexandria and, 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 a, and a few others. Those were the, the great achieving monuments of mankind, and, and man was proud of that, that look at what we have done. Well, they're all gone, except for one. Can anybody guess which one is still around? Nope, that wasn't one of them on the list. Actually, they probably didn't even know there was a China out there at that point. <laughs> the Greek, well, they knew it was there, but they didn't know really what was out there. But the, the, the wall was there, they just didn't know about it. Uh, it's the pyramid. The pyramid. And, and Sherry and I crawled up inside of that pyramid. Um, and we've actually been to several of what would be considered uh, the really the cool sites of the world. We've, we've uh, been to the, the uh, Acropolis in, in Greece. I've uh, been in the Colosseum in Rome. Uh, crawled up inside the Great Pyramid in, in Egypt. Uh, been in the caves, the, the carved out caves of Petra in Jordan and stood by the, the uh, mosque in, in Jerusalem, the, the great domed mosque. But you know, I've never been impressed with all that kind of stuff. That stuff just never has really, as a matter of fact, the great dome, uh, uh, the great mosque in, in Jerusalem, you know, you want, most people want to see inside. And they said, well, you know, here you have to take your shoes off um, for Allah. And, to go, and I was like, I'm not taking my shoes off for Allah? Are you kidding me? And he said, well, yeah, you have to. I mean, don't, you know, don't make a scene here. I just said, I'm sorry, we'll wait outside. I'm, I'm not taking my shoes off for Allah. I'm sorry. So we never saw the inside. But, um, and I kind of did want to see the inside, not for the inside architecture, but inside is the rock, the actual rock, that Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac on. That is actually the spot. It's where the, what's that? Right. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, I'll go there in the millennium after the mosque has been removed. <laughs> and um, so anyway, those kinds of things just never have impressed me. As a matter of fact, the last time I was in Africa, I was in Tanzania, and we were actually in the spot where all the tourists come to. We're, we're at, the, at, at the base of Mount Kilimanjaro, and, and you have the, the plains of uh, where all the water buffalo and antelope and lions and tigers and giraffes. And it, you know. So I'm, I'm there on the YWAM base, and I'm seeing these tour buses go by every so often, and, and people from around the world come to see the, to go on safari and to go out and see this stuff. So they asked me, well, do you want to go out, you know, on a safari? You know, I didn't go. I was right there, and I didn't go, and it just, it was like, I really could care less. I, it just does not impress me. Because I'm, I want to be impressed with the things that impress God. That's what I want to wrap my heart around and that's what we all need to wrap our heart because of the seven wonders of the world. They're all gone, but one, and, and the one is just an old relic sitting there. They're all gone. And, the, and, and what we would consider the seven wonders today will be gone shortly. 
This, this world is fading away. And the things that ought to impress us, the things that ought to be important to us, are the things that impress God. Well, what kind of things impress God? Well, the Bible gives us some hints in uh, Psalms 145. It says, To make known to the sons of men the mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of thy kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endures throughout all generations. In uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus is speaking, and, and he was with the disciples, and he was in Jerusalem. And he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent to you, those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate, for I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It says Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to the buildings of the temple, the, the different buildings around, the majesty, the cool, you know, the gold and, and everything. Was Jesus impressed? No. He said, do you see all these things? I tell you the truth. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And you know that literally came to pass when the Romans attacked Jerusalem, when they finally broke in? They set things on fire, and it, and it burnt the Temple Mount. Well, the Temple Mount was full of gold. And when, it, when the Temple Mount went up in flames, the gold melted and melted into the cracks of the rocks of the temple. And the Romans had literally tear the temple apart stone by stone to get the gold out. And so that became literally true. Jesus was not impressed with the buildings around the temple. He was impressed with, oh, Jerusalem, if you would only allow God to gather you. Jesus wept over those words. But he didn't weep over the, the, the beauty of man-made buildings. So what are the seven wonders, the true wonders today? If they're not architecture, if they're not buildings, then what would I consider Vern Neitzel's seven wonders of the world list, okay? And this is what they are. First of all, it would be the earth. And not only the earth, but our backyard view of the universe. Now, I don't know if you guys are statistics people or not. I am. I imagine some of you women will get bored over, the, over some of these statistics, but some of you guys might think it's cool. And who knows? Who knows? The women might think this is cool. I, you know? So, but listen to this. To me, this it really is cool. The distance of the earth from the sun, we know it's huge. We know it's great. But I read that if a man left right now today at 70 miles an hour, it would take 40 million years to get to the sun from here. That's how far the sun is from here. We take it for granted. We go out, the warmth of the sun, you know, if we were any closer, we would burn up. And if we were farther away, we'd, we would, the, the weather patterns and stuff would change so much that the worth, world would become uninhabitable. We live on an earth that we consider this solid ground. And unbelievers and atheists walk around every day on solid ground thinking, ah, it's, it's solid, it's secure, nothing to worry about. 
Scientists tell us that the skin of the solid earth underneath our feet is about as thin as the, uh, the skin on an apple. That's how much is solid. Underneath of there is half molten, changing, superheated rock, and the further you go, it becomes totally liquid. We live on a thin skin of solid ground. Atheists ought to wake up every morning and kiss the ground that it, it isn't over yet, and they still have another day to repent. Our layer of breathable air is thinner than that. Our, la our layer of breathable air is thinner than the, than the skin on an apple. And we take it for granted. That's why people are worried about pollution. Well, because <laughs> there isn't a whole lot. I mean, you go up in a jet right now, and, and probably most of us here have been in a jet. You don't have to get up very far before uh, there's no air up there. there. There's air, but not breathable air. 30,000 feet, it's 60 degrees below zero outside that window. And we're in there eating our little meals. Oh, you know, this doesn't taste very good, you know. <laughs> Reading our newspaper, and oh, I wish I could use my cell phone. We, you know, we take things so for granted. I mean, we're, we're on a flying magic carpet ride here, and, and, <laughs> and we're complaining because, you know, the meal doesn't taste quite right. You know, it's, it, we're kind of weird that way. But, um, but we live in a very, very small capsule of livable area. Okay? But the distance then, when you start getting out of here, well, let's look at the fresh water supply, which we have to have. Only 3% of the world's water is fresh water. Only 3%. The rest of it's salt water that we really can't use. Nearly 70% of that fresh water is locked up in the ice caps, the Arctic and the Antarctic. Okay? So it's getting to be pretty small. What's left is only 1% that we use to wash, bathe, drink, and water ski on. So we have a very small amount of environment. But our distance outside of this very small capsule of what we live in is what we call astronomical. <laughs> and it's a good description. It's, it's beyond imagination. Like I said, it would take millions of years just to get to the sun uh, there's, it's believed to be uh, 10 billion stars in our galaxy. It's believed that there are 100, I'm sorry, 100 billion stars in our galaxy. It's believed that there are 100 billion galaxies out there. Okay? Dr. Alan Sandage, director of the Mount Wilson Observatory, said that there's an estimated 15 million quasars alone. Quasars are... are, are tremendous things, and, and, and the power that's, that's being produced in those things is beyond imagination. In 1968, pulsars were discovered, and now astronomers think that there are over 100,000 of them in the Milky Way galaxy alone. I could go on and on and on, but we, uh, we, better, we better cut that short. This isn't science class, this is church. But our, but our daddy did this. Our daddy built this thing for us, for us to look at. He built those pulsars and those quasars that we didn't even know existed out there so that we can walk out in our backyard and go, wow, isn't it a nice night, night tonight? Yeah. <laughs> and, and roast marshmallows. And, you know. It's amazing what God did for us to give us this earth to live on and to make things so 
environmentally perfect for us that we can live here. Anything outside of that realm would be deadly. It's perfect just for us. Our God did that for us. That's a wonder. It's an amazing wonder. And, and that's the macro, uh, macrocosm, the far reaches of space. The microcosm goes the opposite direction. The atoms and the, and, and the things that, that everything is built out of. Less than 50 years ago, physicists thought that there were only three kinds of subatomic particles, electrons, protons, neutrons. Today, so many new particles are being discovered through sophisticated technology that Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory issues a new list of subatomic particles twice yearly. That's the microcosm. It goes eternally in that direction, smaller, 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 smaller. And it goes eternally in the big direction, bigger, 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 bigger. That's our God. That's a wonder. That's, that's just mind-boggling. There's a man by the name of uh, uh, John Templeton. Has anybody ever heard of, uh, of John Templeton? He's a, he was an investor. He had a big investing firm. Well, he wrote a very interesting book called uh, The Humble Approach to God and how men get so prideful that they miss God. They miss uh, uh, finding God because they're so prideful. And in his book, he, he's bringing out some of these statistics, and it says, humility is the gateway of knowledge. To learn more, we must first realize how little we already know. The unknown before us may be a million times greater than what we know now. Despite the myriad discoveries made in, re uh, uh, in recent years, even scientists on the cutting edge of new theories about the universe admit this. Ultimate reality is vastly greater than the sum of phenomenon already observed. More and more, the immensity of the physical universe points to a non-physical creator who is infinite. The president of a science association said recently that if a fair sample of natural scientists had been asked 50 years ago whether they believed in God, possibly 20% would have said yes, whereas today that figure might be as high as 80%. Those scientists are beginning to realize this could not have just happened. This thing has, is laid out way too perfectly. In other words, astronomers at work discovering the vast complexities of the macrocosm and nuclear physicists investigating the awesome variety of the microcosm are now concluding that the universe could not have happened by chance. The famous physicist Sir James Jeans said that the universe is beginning to look not like a great machine, but like a great thought. Okay. The second uh, wonder of the world is the biological creation. I'm going to try to go faster. Biologically, this is an amazing place. And, and the really sad thing is when you watch NOVA and, and different programs uh, where they talk about biology, they will talk about the incredible, immense uh, circuitry of, of cells and how they communicate with each other and, and on and on and on, and they'll give no glory to God. They'll constantly be pushing evolution, that there is no God, that this just happened, and it's like, 
Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me that, to think that those things so complex could have just happened? Are you kidding me? It occurred to me that this is, that's like going to a museum and seeing amazing paintings, paintings that are just are, are jaw-dropping, and having all these students stand around and looking at these paintings and just going, this is just absolutely amazing. And then walking out and ignoring the artist that sits by the door that created all those paintings, totally ignoring him, knowing that he's there, knowing that that's him, totally ignoring him, talking about the paintings, what a nice day it is, what nice weather we have, boy, it's, this is great, that, you know, and, and totally never looking up to God and saying, I'm amazed. Does anybody ever do that? Does anybody ever go into nature and, and look at a leaf and just go, wow, that is amazing. You know, it's, it's amazing when you pick up a leaf. You are looking at something that God designed. I mean, that, that was a thought in the eyes of God, and he actually designed that thing. It hasn't changed. It's pretty much the same way as when he created it. You are looking at something that God actually designed and created and put his little things, you know, animals, little quirky animals and stuff, and I'm looking at them and thinking, <laughs> you know, what were you thinking when you made that one? You know, that's kind of weird. But, uh, you know, who am I to say? <laughs> it's, you know, and, uh, you know, we ought to do that. We ought to just be amazed at our God when we are walking through nature and seeing these things of, of biology and such. I'll read one statistic, and then we've got to move on. Um, the heart, the human heart, uh, weighs about 11 ounces, yet it continually pumps blood through 60 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels. Wow. That's just, you know, God is so extravagant. <laughs> you know, when he does something, he doesn't just, I mean, he could have gotten by with 10 miles of blood vessels, and we would have, you know, but 100,000 miles, are you kidding me? That's our God. He's extravagant. He does things big. I thought of this one time when we, when we talk about, you know, we ought to pray and pray in faith, believe God for big things. Do we really? You know, if we, had, if, we had to, if we had prayed creation in, can you imagine what it would be? It'd be black and white. <laughs> Maybe one or two shades of gray if we really had faith and really thought we were going to go wild. Hey, let's just let's add a little bit of, you know. I mean, they say that when you look in, in a woods, you are looking at millions of shades of green. Millions. Now, they found that out because when they computerize things, they have to break those things down and begin to understand what are we really seeing when we look at something. They have to figure that out in order to computerize things to, to mimic it on a screen. And they're realizing that it's millions, millions of shades of green when you're looking in the woods. God is extravagant. He's, he's created worlds out there that, that we, could, we never will see in this lifetime. And yet he made them. I read just recently where there is a planet out there that's made out of pure, they can tell by the, by the light that's coming from it, refracted light, they can, they can tell what elements this thing is made out of. It's pure carbon. And it's so large that that carbon has, has got to have been compressed immensely, immensely in this, in this planet out there. So you have a, a, a planet made out of pure carbon that is under tremendous pressure. Do you know what happens to carbon when it goes under tremendous pressure over a long period of time? It turns into a pure, 
there's a, there's a planet out there that's a pure diamond, one big diamond floating around in space. That's amazing. That's just like, God, you know, I can believe that. I can believe you did that. That's cool. I mean, you go to heaven, and there's going to be gates made out of a single pearl. Well, where do pearls come from? Oysters. That means somewhere, <laughs> somewhere there's some big oysters. <laughs> it's got to be. It's got to be. Our God is extravagant. Okay, that was the second wonder. What time was it? Uh, do, do you guys ever, ever, ever preach or minister and, and your mind just doesn't function? I, I, sometimes when I get up to minister, I can't tell the time. I, I mean, it's not like I want to go over time. I look at a clock and it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> and I, I, I have to stop and, and go, okay, stop the sermon, stop everything, and figure out what is that clock actually saying. Oh, yeah, it's 8 minutes to 11. I'm supposed to be done at 11. Okay, now I know. Okay. <laughs> Have I used up the five minutes yet? That's the question. Okay, the third wonder of the world. You have this tremendous, wonderful creation that an extravagant, all-powerful God has created, and it's good. He looked at it, and it was good. And man, it is. It's amazing, okay? The third wonder is the ravage of sin. What happened when sin entered the picture? Now, that doesn't sound like a wonderful thing, but it is a wonder. It's like, wow. The damage, when sin entered the picture, the damage that, that happened because of that. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 12, it says, Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? For th but my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. God is saying, can you imagine that somebody would be offered the God that I am and choose to change me, their glory, for a God that isn't even a God? Can you imagine? And then he says, be appalled, O heavens, at this. It's like, everybody stop and just shut up. And look at this. Can you imagine? We t I, I began out by saying what things impress heaven? What things, you know, uh, the seven wonders of the world is what impresses man. What things impress heaven? This is impressive. God is saying, be appalled at this, heavens. In another translation, it says, be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye desolate, saith the Lord. In another translation, it says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder, with great horror. He's telling the heavens, look at what sin has done and be horrified at what has happened. I mean, we could just stop and think about that. We could just stop and meditate on that. And, and it would bring a lot of us to repentance. It'd be like, oh my God, what have I done? What have I done with the beautiful thing that you gave me? Be shocked and horrified, God says. In Deuteronomy 28, it says, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee as a result of the sin, and shall pursue you and overtake you till thou be destroyed, because you hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord your God, to keep his commandments and his statutes which were commanded thee. 
and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder. There's the word wonder. And upon thy seed forever. Ever. Hell is a wonder. Hell is like, well, that place was created for demons. That place was created for, to house and, and jailhouse devils forever. And now there's people going there. We ought to be shocked at that. How, how can this be? That was never intended. What was intended was, was, was a loving God giving mankind everything you possibly could ever want and desire and need. And now you've got those same humans going to hell forever. How can this be? It's a shocking thing. It never was supposed to be that way. It was never meant that way. The ravage of sin. The next wonder of the world is the love and the mercy of God. Now you've got, you've got God who has created humans and given them everything. I mean, they were, they were heirs to him. That means they, you, get, you get the farm. And, and that doesn't mean God's going to die. He's going to be around forever to, to enjoy it with you. You get the farm. He's given you everything. And man linked up with God's worst enemy. He didn't just sin. He linked up with the very dastardly being that was God's worst enemy. And man said, I'm going with him instead. Now, what in the world would be the logical conclusion to that story? God would burn this earth to a crisp in a moment, lock Satan up for eternity with the men that wanted to serve him, and that'd be it. That, it'd be over. That's the logical conclusion. And there would be nobody to argue with that. It's the obvious thing that, that man deserved. But God instead enters the scene and says, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take it instead of you. I'm going to take the full brunt of everything you deserve. All of it. I'm going to do it in three days. You can't imagine how he did it. I have no idea how he did it, but he did it. The love of God enters the scene in Isaiah 59 Verse 16, it says, and he, and, and, and he looked for somebody to save mankind. He looked for somebody that would seek after God, somebody that would intercede, somebody that would bridge the gap. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God wondered. We talk about what are the wonders of the world. God is wondering, really? There's nobody, not one, nobody in this room, nobody in this town, nobody in northern Southern Minnesota, the United States, the world, not one person is seeking after God and is willing to obey him and walk in his ways and love him with all their heart. Not one. It said he, God wondered at that. Like, wow. He wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his arm. His right arm, if you look through the scriptures, you find out that the right arm of God is Jesus Christ. And it said that his arm brought salvation unto him, and his righteousness, it sustained him. In Psalm 17, 7, it says, Show the wonder of your great love, 
you who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. In Romans 5, 7, it says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us, and then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still in our sin, not even when we took a step towards him, not when we even showed a little bit of love towards him, while we were still sinners. And I'm not talking about the naughty sins. <laughs> you know, naughty, that was naughty. I'm talking about the dirty, nasty, vulgar, vile, filthy sins that we've all done. While we were still in that, Christ died for us. He took the step out of love and mercy. That's a wonder. That's a wonder of the world. They ought to stop all the programs on TV this afternoon and talk about that. That's a wonder. It's, it's, it's beyond comprehension how God could have done that and chose to die for us. Number five, the wonders of the world, the word of God. It says, from that, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation. God gave us a book. Can you imagine that? God, you know, you talk to, you talk to professors and, and, and guys at the college, and, and, and they have a hard time believing our God because it's like, really? Do you help realize how big the universe is? And you think God is interested in this world? You know, a lot of them are not atheists. They're agnostics. That means that they think, well, there, there may be a God up there. I mean, it's starting to look like, yeah, may, somebody created this. There may be a God up there. But for him to be interested in this little tiny speck of the world, out outrageous. That's an outrageous thought. Yeah, it's a wonder. It's amazing. And even more than that, for him to give us a book. And that wasn't a book of rules. It wasn't a book of thou shalt and thou shalt not. It's a book like his personal diary. You know, you grab a little girl's personal diary, she'll, she'll claw and scream and fight to get that out of your hands. Why? It's because her, it's her gut-wrenching thoughts written down. And that's what the word is. I read Ezekiel this year. I've never done that before. Ezekiel's always been a closed book to me. It's kind of like, I, I mean, I can tell you where I was at different times when books were open to me. I don't know if anybody's ever experienced that. But all of a sudden, one of the books of the Bible, all of a sudden you read it, and it's like, well, this means something. <laughs> this actually is saying something, you know? Up until that point, you've just kind of ignored it because it's, you know, in, in uh, Latin or something. So you just kind of ignore it. But all of a sudden, one day you read a scripture, and it's like it's open to you. The book of Ezekiel was open to me this spring. Now, I don't know every in and out of, of the book of Ezekiel, but I know this. I was reading God's personal diary. I was reading God saying to his wife, his beloved wife, the one that he loves so much, when Jesus said, if you'd only come under the wings of this hand, I would protect you. If you would only come to me. You read the book of Ezekiel, and it's talking about his wife, Jerusalem. And he's saying, I'm going to destroy you. 
I'm going to destroy you. You're going you're to starve. You're going to go under the, the sword. You're going to be beaten down by your enemies. You're going you're to run in every direction you can find, and you're going to be destroyed because you forsook me. And I read that, and I, you know, usually when I read that kind of judgment, I'm thinking, you know, normal thoughts. But all of a sudden when I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, my God, he's talking about somebody that he loves. He's not an angry God talking about somebody that he can't wait to destroy. He's talking about somebody that's like somebody sitting right next to you this morning, somebody, your family, somebody that you care about, and saying, you know something? You've left me no choice. I'm going to have to destroy you. And it's going to be a bad destruction. It's going to be ugly. I don't want to do it. I'll go to the cross to try to stop it. But if you reject my salvation, you reject my word, you reject me over and over and over again, I'm going to destroy you. I read that and I wept. I read the book of Ezekiel and I wept as I was reading it. And I realized, I just said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to feel that pain. I was feeling the pain of God. Not near what he felt, but I, but I all of a sudden related that he was pouring out his heart and saying, I'm going to do this to somebody I love more than anything. And I just I said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to feel that. I'm sorry that we have been so wicked that you had to go through that. I'm sorry for you. I'm not sorry for Jerusalem. I'm sorry for you that you had to suffer that pain. He gave us that book. And it's his diary. It's his very heartfelt, innermost thoughts and feelings. That's a wonder. That's one of the wonders of the world. It's amazing that he gave us that book. And if we let it sit on the shelf, <laughs> what can I say? If we let, it sit, let that book sit on the shelf, what are we saying to him? We don't need to come to church and raise our hands and shout hallelujah. If we let that book sit on the shelf, what are we saying to him? And not only did he open up his heart and share those things, those innermost thoughts, which is just amazing to think that God, the God of the, of the universe, the God of eternity would even dare, or not dare, but wouldn't, would be willing to share those kinds of thoughts with us. That's amazing in itself. But the blood and guts that men have gone through to bring us that Bible today that sits on our shelf, the Tyndalls, the Wycliffs, the men of God that paid with their life to get us that book in our English language. We can't let it sit on the shelf. It says that we ought to confess and meditate and think on his word all day long, every day. It's life. It's, it's the very life that we need. If right now, if, if you went to a, a doctor and got a, diagnos a diagnosis that was very dire, I mean, the doctor even choked up when he told you. He said, I'm sorry, but this is the way it's going to be. But there's one possibility. Your ears would perk up, wouldn't it? I mean, my ears would perk up. There's one possibility. You mean, I, I, I'm not going to die in six months? There's one chance? What is that one chance? What do I got to do? What do I got to spend? He says, well, this is going to be tough. But you got to wake up every, every two hours around the clock. You have to take this treatment. It's going to be very expensive pills. It's going to be very disgusting-tasting pills. But you have to chew them. You can't swallow them. You got to chew them. 
So you got to pay big bucks for the pills. You got to wake up every two hours. You got to chew up these pills. And after so many weeks, I think you're going to be okay. How many would do it? I'd do it. We all do it. We all have gone through medical hurdles that we, <laughs> that we didn't care for. Because we don't want to die. And we don't want to suffer. So we take those little sufferings to, to avoid big sufferings. Well, the Bible says that his word is life to those that find it. Life. That's the pill. And you have to take it, and you have to chew it, and you have to ingest it, you have to meditate on it day and night. And he says, then you will make your, your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. But you've got to take the pill. You can't come back after four months to the doctor and say, I feel worse. Oh, that's too bad. So they didn't work. What didn't work? Well, the pills. Oh, I can take those. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy when you think of it in normal terms, but that's the way we treat spiritual things so often. Oh, I, I, yeah, I, yeah I, didn't, I didn't pray and fast and, and, and seek your face, but, but I still want the goodies. I still want you to you know, bless me. And God's like, I want to. I honestly want to. I really, really want to bless you. But you've got to take the pills. The sixth wonder of the world, the one earlier we said was God being willing to offer us redemption, being willing to turn. The sixth wonder is the redemption itself. It's a wonder. It's amazing. We talk about the ravages of sin, how bad it was. It took men and turned them into demons, basically. Their, their spirits became absolutely filthy, vile, wicked. And if you don't think that's true, go out into the back streets of many of our cities today without protection, and you'll find out how vile and wicked this world is. People are being contained and held back from what they really want to do because their hearts are vile and wicked. They've been turned into basically demons in, in, in a human body. But the redemption comes along, and it is a wonder. It's an amazing thing how much it turned that back and stopped that, that death that was feeding on humankind. When we read the word salvation in the New Testament, Schofield, he, he, uh, has, has anybody ever heard of the Schofield Bible? Good, good, good Baptist here. All right. Um, Schofield wrote in one of his commentaries that the word salvation, the Hebrew and Greek words for salvation, imply the ideas of deliverance, safety. These are the things that came to us because of the salvation, because of the redemption. Deliverance, safety, preservation, healing, and soundness. This guy is a, people, is a guy that the Baptists loved. And here he's talking about healing coming because of, of salvation. You know, this is cool. Salvation, he says continues, is the great inclusive word of the gospel gathering into itself all the redemptive acts and processes. In Acts chapter 13, it says, Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified. Can you imagine that? That all of a sudden your sins are just washed away? <laughs> Sins that, that, that would send you to the, to the eternal guillotine forever, the eternal racks of, of torment forever, and all of a sudden, it's, oh, okay, it's forgiven, it's gone. 
that through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified for by the law of Moses. And then, and then he says in the book of Acts, take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. And this is what the prophets said. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would not ever believe even if somebody told you. He's saying, make sure you don't hear this salvation and then walk in unbelief of it. Make sure you don't miss the day of your salvation. It's been given to you, and it's an amazing, amazing salvation. Don't you dare juggle it and drop it because of unbelief. You enter it and receive it and claim it as yours. And this is the last one. The wonder on this world right now that God would have given us everything and offered us everything and we blew it and we lost it and we gave it to our enemy and then God would come in and win back that people through a great conquest with evil he fought a great conquest suffered immeasurably to win this back for us the wonder of him handing it back to us and saying it's up to you to spread this good news. It's up to you to preach this gospel, or they will not be saved. Those people that I love in, in Bolivia, those people that I love in Hungary, those people that I love in Thailand, those people that I love here in, in Lake Elmo, unless you preach it, I'm giving it back to you now, unless you preach this gospel, they're going to hell. They're going to be lost. Can you imagine him taking that gem that he won, that salvation that he won, and handing it back into our hand and saying, it's up to you. You get this to my wife. You get this salvation to my children. It's up to you. That's a wonder. That's amazing. I, I still don't quite understand that. I still don't quite understand it. It says, and Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. He won it all back. He's got it. Jesus has got it all back now. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. 1 Corinthians 1.21. For after that the wisdom of God by the world was... The, start over. But after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom didn't know God. It pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You would think that God would have taken a salvation that was so tremendous and cost so much. You'd think that he would have angels writing it in the skies right now. Minneapolis, repent or perish. So that everybody would see it and go, holy mackerel, I think he means it. And everybody would repent. And me and my finite thinking, I would think that's what he would do. He wants everybody saved, right? Yes. Well, why doesn't he commit this to angels to just scare the crap out of everybody so that they repent and turn to him? He didn't. He took this tremendous salvation and said, all right, you little people, you little uh, common Joes, 
common people, common Christians, it's up to you. You get the word out. You preach the gospel. I'll go with you. I'll confirm it with signs and wonders. I will empower you. But it's up to you to preach the gospel. To me, that's a wonder. That's an amazing, amazing thing. All right. The universe, the world we live in, the micro and macrocosm, the biological creation, man being created in the image of God, it's a wonder. The ravage and destruction of sin, the love and mercy of God upon mankind, the word of God being given to us, the redemptive power of the blood, and the gospel being entrusted to mankind to deliver. Or it was all for nothing. If we don't deliver the message, how, how, how many deliverers does it take to get a man saved? Everybody would normally say one. One deliverer, Jesus. No, it takes two deliverers. Jesus delivered salvation to the world, but it's up to us to deliver the message to them, or it was for nothing. Jesus might, have, might as well have skipped the cross for those neighbors, because if we don't tell them, it was for nothing. Amen? All right, thank you. Have a great week. Don't forget to vote on Tuesday. Thank you for coming. Yes, stack the chairs, please. Okay. <laughs>